Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of coming together and we gather in the name of Jesus. We know, Lord, that you are here present with us. And once again, Holy Spirit, will you come and teach us, be our guide, be the one that would open our eyes, help us to understand and teach us, Lord, so that we can live rightly for you. Be with me, be with my brothers and sisters, and that, Lord, together we'll enjoy this time in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In case you're wondering, we're still on the subject of money and finances. Last week, we spoke about this at some length, and I hope that uh, you would have listened to that teaching. If not, you can always pick it up uh, in the recording that we have already uploaded. Last week, we spoke about true treasures, and that was really part one. If you look at the teaching of Jesus, although in our Bibles it is broken up into different sections, and sometimes it's easy just to take a few verses and um, try to understand what it says, my preference always is to see how we can understand it in a much broader context. So last week from verses 19 to 24, with this title about true treasures, Jesus spoke about how we need to be laying up treasures in heaven. We asked the very important questions, right? Where is your heart? What is your eye looking at? Whom do you serve? And the big idea really is summarized in this one statement. I believe we need to remove anything. And if money is the one thing that is stopping us, then we should remove that one aspect, that remove, remove anything that distracts you from following and serving Jesus. Now, specifically, Jesus was talking about money. But you and I know that there can be many other things that can also take our eyes off following and serving Jesus. We can agree that to get many of the other things, we need money first. And that's why Jesus brings it all the way down to that one big point about money, that you cannot serve God and you cannot serve mammon or money. If you want true treasures in heaven, then let's follow Jesus, let's serve Him, let us be faithful in our kingdom assignments. Oh, well and good, we sound very spiritual, we sound very eternal, but I'm very thankful that Jesus is also very practical. Right? So he doesn't end his teaching. He summarizes something there. But he goes on, and that's where we will touch on this week in part two, where he continues. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, he switches from a focus on what treasures might be, heavenly treasures, and he brings it all the way down to basic needs. He doesn't want his kingdom subjects ever to have to worry. And that's why our title is No Worries. And I think that's too much of a promise because I can tell you there will be worries, but we are told not to worry. So part 2, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Let's read the text. And tonight we will explore this in greater detail. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think this passage is a very familiar one. We find even a, an even more familiar verse that we quote and we have it on our banners and we print it on t-shirts and we have it at, as church camp themes, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and so on. But do we really understand what Jesus is saying to us through this whole passage? As always, let's start with some observations and I'll give you two broad observations before getting into the teaching in a greater detail. We see these words, therefore I say to you, do not worry. And then a second time, and then a third time. Three times, the words therefore and the words worry come out. When you look at this word therefore, it is not introducing something. It is concluding something. Right? When you speak and you are giving an argument, and after you present your case, then you conclude, therefore, right? This is what it means. This is what I'm trying to say to you. So as we can see, this whole section is really a conclusion and it is an application of what is before. So to understand this passage, you have to read the previous section. And so you have homework. If you have not heard part one, you have not gone through part one, you've got to listen to that first. And this whole section here that we are going through this evening, 25 to 34, it is premised, this one line called, therefore do not worry, it is premised on a choice or a decision that is made based on what you have learned prior. You have a decision to make. Are you laying up treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? You have a choice to make. Are you choosing God or have you chosen mammon? You have to tie these two sections together because your decision or your choice will then determine your level of worry. Therefore, it is a conclusion and it is an application. It's not an introduction. You don't start reading only from this verse. You have to start reading from the previous section. That's the first thing that we note here. Most get it wrong by starting with this command, do not worry. Now think about it. Right? Many people will just tell you, don't worry. Ah. Then you try. Okay, I don't worry. I don't worry. I try harder. I'm trying very hard not to worry. Does it work? doesn't work. Because the harder you try, the more you worry. The more you try not to think about it, the more you think about it. So your start point is wrong. Your start point comes from the section prior. That's what I'm trying to say here to all of us. It only concludes only with this point, therefore, do not worry. If you have not made a right decision, then your hearts are still in the wrong place. If your eye is still bad, then it's blurred, it's looking at so many other things, it's not focused upon Jesus. So if you have a wrong start point, how not to worry? That's why we, we, we fail at this, you see. We keep struggling. Perhaps 
some of our starting points need to be looked at. That's the first observation. Therefore, do not worry. Three times, Jesus concludes with this same statement. But let's ask ourselves, what is worry? Entire section, worry, worrying, why you worry? Six times, double. Do not worry three times. But the word mentioned six times, worry. What is this one word called worry? Now in the Greek, you have this word called merim nao. It means to be anxious, it means to worry, or it means to care. Very interesting, huh? when you look at the word worry and care. It's like, hey, are you sure? No, do they sound like the same thing or not? This one word can be translated in these ways, and it's actually derived from, if you go all the way down to a root word, what is it derived from? It's derived from this word meris, which means a part, a portion, or a division. You go down a little bit further, this one word meris is derived from a verb merizo, which means to divide into many parts. So the word worry comes from a root meaning that says to divide into many parts. Now, do you understand why we worry and why we get kanjong or not? Because we can have one issue, but when we divide it into many parts, suddenly we have ten issues. Right? So you may be concerned about one matter, but your mind doesn't stay at that one matter. You will start to think, what if it's like that? Then maybe it will be like this. And then if it's like this, how? Huh? And then if not like this, then how? Huh? Then before you know it, huh, you're dividing, you're cutting, and then you're, 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 you're postulating, and you're predicting, and you're wondering, and you're worrying, and you have so many things on your mind. That's what worry is. When you have one issue, and you divide it into many parts, when it was possibly something that is simple, you have complicated everything. Let me give you some Bible references to show you the relationship and the difference between care, that word care, and the word worry. The Bible actually uses different Greek words for the word care and for the word worry. Let's start with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. You know the parable of the sower. And the seed that fell on ground that was thorny, right? It grew amongst the thorns. And Jesus, later on, he explains, he says, these thorns, these are the cares of this world, the merimna of this world. Cares. So the word cares can be translated worry. These are the worrying things of this world. These are the things that worry you like crazy. And these are the things that will choke the word of the kingdom of God. Now, many Christians struggle with this. They want to understand the kingdom. They want to move in the things of the kingdom. But they are so worried with the things of this world give you another example. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says this, Cast your cares upon God, for He cares for you. Are you familiar with this verse? Yes. The English word is the same, right? Cast your cares because God cares for you. But if you do a study, there are two different words. Cast your cares, your worries. Cast your worries upon God, for He cares. Different word. It just means that word care is God is concerned for you. All right, so two different translations or two different words in that sense, but in the English, it can be translated with the word care. So cast your worries upon God because He's concerned for you. 
Because God is not worried. He's not kanchiong. He's not anxious. He's got everything under control. But He loves us and so He cares for us. He's concerned. Another one which is familiar, Luke chapter 10, verses 40 to 42 about Martha. Martha was distracted with much serving as she approached Him and said, Lord, do you not care? And the word care is melee, which is concern. Are you not concerned that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, Merimna. You are worried. And in the King James Version, it says, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. And the word careful just means full of cares, full of worry. Very, very kanjong. Okay? But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, Mary's, that part. For Mary, that one part was kept intact. For Martha, that one part was split into so many different parts. And that's why she was worried. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I want to tell you this. There's nothing wrong with caring or being careful. Nothing wrong with that, right? And we should be concerned. We should be careful. But I want you to know that it is a very fine line between caring and worrying. Because you and I can care about something a lot and a lot and so much and you cross that line into worry without realizing it. Many of us are parents down here. Do we care for our children? Of course we do, right? But we can care overly so much until it becomes worry. And that's unhealthy. So if you're concerned about something, you're concerned for someone, that's okay. And the Lord is not chiding us based on what He's saying. He's not saying, do not care, Botap. That's not the point. He's saying you can be careful, you can be concerned, but be careful that it doesn't cross into worry. What are you dividing into many parts? If you have one issue and you divide it into all these kind of parts and you're, you're trying to keep your eye on all these parts, remember the previous teaching? A good eye is one eye that is focused. There's not disease. There's not blur. You don't see many, many things. Can you see how it's related down here? And yet, if you divide things into many parts, you're going to have your vision split up and divided over so many things. It results in, in being blur, in, in being uh, the inability to see or to discern which actually is the most important thing you need to look after. And Jesus is saying to us, therefore, do not worry. It's not the start point. Again, it's the end point. You have a choice to make prior to that. So how do we not worry? Through this passage, I picked up five things that would possibly constitute right kingdom living. If you want to apply this teaching of Jesus, you have to check these things. It's based on a decision you've made prior. But out of that, you would then have a right perspective. You want to look at a right relationship. You want to determine a right worth that you can establish the right priorities that you will have the right focus. So I'm going to go through these five points with you quickly. And I hope it helps you understand this passage and see something a little bit more clearly. Let's look at the first one. We must have a right perspective. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? What's your perspective of life? Is it all just made up of food, what clothes to wear? You know, is your biggest problem in the morning when you open the wardrobe and you don't know what to wear today? Is your biggest concern, uh, lunchtime, uh, ah, yeah, why, why are we going to eat? Uh, every day eat the same thing. Is that all you are concerned about, you see? And Jesus is saying, look, life is more than all these things that you, you consider important. It's more than food. It's more than clothing. There's something bigger. Your eye mustn't be fixed on these things. Now, it's very hard for us to understand or get away from this because of the consumeristic preoccupation with fashion and with food. And someone, we live in Singapore and we want to be the hub of everything. We want to be the fashion hub. We also want to, have to be the food hub. You notice there are a lot of food fairs nowadays. I'm not talking about your church. I'm talking about the exhibition halls, right? Huh? Got Japanese fair, like, got Korean fair, like, got hawker fair, like, got every fair. They fly all the chefs in. Now got Michelin one star, like, two star, like, three star. You queue up for two hours just to eat something and then you snap a photo and post it on Instagram or, or Facebook. What's all this preoccupation with, with fashion, right? I mean, look at this clothes thing. We need to have clothes. Oh, every day must buy this, the latest this, the latest that. I say, thankfully, yeah, Singapore only got one season. <laughs> Can you imagine if really if we have the, the other different seasons like, like all the other temperate countries? Huh? I think it will be really very, very difficult for us, right? But you know, if you have more clothes, huh, that means you need more wardrobe space, né? which means you need more rooms, you know? which means you also need a bigger house. No wonder you want to upgrade, you know? which means you need more money. You know? And if you don't have one, you've got to take a larger loan, you know? And after you take a loan, you've got to work harder. Do you think it ends up with worry? It starts with clothes. I mean, you don't realise this, correct? Nowadays, we, we can't afford houses in Singapore, but do you realise in many of the industrial estates, all the extra storage space, the rental, all come out. So you don't pay for HDB, you don't pay for private property, now you're renting industrial storehouse, warehouse. Where are we going with all these things? And after you rent it, for the next 10 years, you never open the storehouse. <laughs> so you're, you need money and you work harder and you're worried. And then all this preoccupation with food. Do you know, after you eat more food, you also need new clothes. Eh? <laughs> Did you ever think about this? Right, so you have to change your wardrobe. And not only that, does it add to health problems if you don't watch what you eat? And then if you have health problems, then there will be medical bills. And so if you're not well, and then there's medical bills, and do you think you will worry? Of course you will worry. What? So Jesus is trying to bring a perspective. He says, hello, these are basic things. Life is more than all these things. What are you spending your money on? Why are you trying to hoard up all these stuff for? It's, there's, there, there's a much bigger picture, you understand? The kingdom perspective is not just about clothes and not about food. As long as you have these things, it is enough. What's your perspective also about money? What's the right kingdom perspective of money? I, I, I want to give you these four things. I believe if you would hold these four points well, 
and understand what it means for you. You will manage your money and you will not be managed by your money. The first kingdom principle is that it is not about ownership. It is about stewardship. Everything you and I have, they don't belong to us. It's given to us by God, but we steward these on His behalf. When things are not yours, you hold it a little bit more loosely. But when you begin to say, this is mine, I work hard for it, I sacrifice for it, then you are going to protect it, and that's where the problem is. First thing, it's not about ownership. It's about stewardship. Second kingdom principle for money. It's not about poverty, nor about material prosperity. It's about provision. If you are provided for, then that is enough. Right? It's not about poverty, that God wants you to starve all the time. No, that's not the point. It's not that He wants you to have big houses and all that. Not that there's anything wrong with big houses. But if you hold a view of provision, you can handle the things that come to you. In Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. And he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, it's not either extreme. Hold a right tension, provision. The third kingdom principle or perspective about money is this. Not covetousness, but contentment. If your eye is always looking at what your neighbour has, what other people are wearing, how much you want to be like them, then you are covetous. Everything they have, you also want. And you have to keep up with the different people you cannot keep up. You can never keep up. There will always be someone who is richer than you. Right? Someone who has got more than you. Someone who is better than you. When are you going to stop? You're never going to end. You have to have contentment. So Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 onwards, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. Now, if you read on, he warns, he says, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. And yet, let's be honest, if we ask anyone here, would you like to be rich? I think most of us would say, yes, what's wrong? I would love to be rich, right? But if your desire is only to become rich, then you open yourself up to a lot of temptations, a lot of traps, and a lot of things that you will struggle with. The fourth point is not about greed, but about generosity. It's not about you holding on to things, not being stingy and greedy with what you have, but you are to be generous. Have you realized something? There's uneven distribution in the world. Even within the church, there's uneven distribution. Seated here in this room, some of you have more, some of us have less, right? And so God is saying, look, there's this principle down here. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, that we can be generous, that when we help one, who knows that the next day, the other person might have to help you. And if we learn how to do that, knowing that uh, we are all stewards, then all we are doing is just distributing what God has given to all of us. 
What is your perspective of life and of money? Let me say this openly. Don't let, don't let the marketing and the advertising professionals fool you. I came from the advertising industry. I've repented already. <laughs> Isn't it true? You look at all the advertisements, what do they keep telling you? You are worth it. You should have this. How can you miss out on this? We specially designed it for you, you know. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Stop comparing with other people. So point number one, you have to check your perspective. Check your perspective. Point number two is about right relationship. Jesus probably preaching in the, in the open space, birds flying above him. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet who? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Do you have a right relationship? Who is God to you? This is the question. What's your relationship with Him? See, as earthly parents, we know how to look after our children. You don't have to program that, right? For most of us, if we are responsible, we will know how to look after our children. My kids don't have to worry whether they have clothes or whether they have food. All they have to say is they bring their shirt and say, Mommy got hole already. In fact, sometimes we have to tell them, Hey, hello, got hole already, I got changed, you know. Or very simply, they come and they go, I'm hungry. And that's just after eating one hour before. Do we know how to clothe them? Do we know how to feed them? I don't think there's any issue down there. Who is God to you? And Jesus is reminding us, you have a heavenly Father who loves you. And God knows all of our needs. The Bible says, right, even before you ask, He already knows. But as our heavenly Father, I mean, there's such joy when we come to you and trust Him and say, Abba Father, can I have this? No, could I have this? I need this. And God will gladly supply that need. Who is God to you? He is our heavenly Father. That's why Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Who is God to you? Do you see Him like this killjoy? That when you ask Him, He goes, No. Cannot. Won't let you have it. You know, sometimes people can paint that picture of God, right? But God is not like that. He's our Heavenly Father. He is a good Father. He knows how to give to His children. In fact, our problem today is that we as parents in a, in a land of plenty and a very abundant uh, country, our problem is that we swing to an extreme of overindulgent parenting. Where everything you want, you get. And you do not know the value of things that you have received. God knows and God will give and God will love us and He blesses us. But I firmly believe our Heavenly Father is not an overindulgent parent. He knows when to give and He knows what we need and when it is enough, right? And that's why He talks about God knows your needs. He doesn't just supply the needs and, or rather He doesn't supply the wants that we want. You want, you want a lot of things, huh? we 
we, we will keep asking and demanding for it. And I think that's the problem with the name it, claim it gospel, don't you think? The prosperity gospel says that if you name it and you claim it, you will have it. And of course, you know, after I get my HDB, praise the Lord. You know, after that, I want to upgrade the condo, I name it, I claim it, I must have it. Then after I want to go property, private property, I name it, I must claim it, I'll have it. Do you think God works in that way? I don't think so, is he? Now, if you have a private property, praise the Lord. You know, you must invite me, make use of the good, good resource. <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with having a private property. I, please don't get me wrong, understand? Huh? Okay? But to say that you have been blessed because you have a good property means I have not been blessed because I didn't have a private property. Sometimes we don't realize the things we say. But by saying something, we neglect, we actually offend some other people. Okay? So let's be careful. Let us not be spoiled breads in the toy store where everything we see only we want. If not, well, we throw a temper tantrum and we get upset with God. So the first thing is the right perspective. The second point is you need to have a right relationship. Okay? You must know Abba Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And if He knows how to feed the birds and the flowers and so on to clothe them, then He will look after us. Once you have a right relationship, you begin to understand your right worth. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? I did a bit of a research. I looked at all our billionaires around the world. Some of these faces you would recognize. On your left is Bill Gates. The next one is Warren Buffett, Buffet. The third one is Mark Facebook, Zuckerberg. And the fourth one is Jack Ma of Alibaba. Right? And of course, we have our Singapore version also. Yeah. But what are you worth? These guys are worth billions of dollars. But is that how we are to calculate our worth? We tend to think so, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we look at a church and say, oh, you know, is this church blessed? Oh, surely must be blessed. So many thousand people. Is this church blessed? Oh, must be blessed. Look at the balance sheet, man. Very healthy, oh. <laughs> so that means the, the, the people with this church uh, must be highly favoured. Can you see how dangerous that kind of thinking is? What is your worth? How much are you worth? So in a right relationship, we ask the question, who is God to you? But in a right worth, we ask, who are you to God? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, nor, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies or the flowers of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Who are you to God? Just in case you've forgotten, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we of His creation, we are the only ones made in His image and according to His likeness. We are created after Him. That's how special we are. And we know we keep saying, it's not about us. It's not about us. And we have to remember, yes, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. But the truth is, we do matter to God. Just don't make it all about you. 
Okay? Whenever we say it's not about us, huh? please don't beat yourself to pulp as if you're worthless. That's not the point. We're just saying we have to ascribe worship to the one that must receive worship and honour. Right? But we matter to God. I love this Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 8, 3 to 5. When I consider the heavens, how glorious, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? I love this one verse. You know, when I'm feeling down, I'm feeling lonely, and like nobody bothers and cares about me. When I read this, uh, I get so emotional because it's just so wonderful. What is man that you are mindful of him? And a son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and with honor. You are worth a lot. Do you understand this? God made you, each and every one of you. You are special and you're favored. Just get the right perspective. Don't get the wrong idea. And you know, we matter so much that God sent His Son to die for us. Don't minimize the work of the cross. See, sometimes we focus so much on what can God give us that we forget that He has already given us the cross, Christ upon the cross. And by faith, we are saved and we are adopted in His family, the Holy Spirit given to us that today we can call Him, not Jack Ma, Ali Baba, we call Him Abba. Okay, huh? so if you think Jack Ma is worth a lot huh, because of Ali Baba, we are worth a lot because of Abba. Praise God, yeah? And then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And later on, further down in verse 29 of chapter 8, it says, Whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Friends, that's the perspective, you understand? That's what it is. We, we get to be like Christ. That's His desire. And if Jesus is the highest ever, then we get to be conformed to be like Him. And He reminds us to, to bring us to that place. Romans chapter 8, in that second part, and in the last part, it's to have a right perspective of sufferings and trials and the difficult times we go through. And I quote these verses because I want you to know, because many times in a difficult moment, we think God doesn't care about us. No. God allows these difficult moments so that through these, we are being trained and we're being matured and we're being conformed unto the image of Christ. And he reminds us in verse 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, the perspective must be correct. If you only start with the all things, you missed everything else. But you must start with Christ. And you must understand that your worth to God, it matters. Are you not of more value than they? The birds and the lilies. I have one phrase here I want to share with you. The providence of God over creation ensures the provision of God for His children. Let me read that again in case you're taking this note. The providence of God over creation ensures the provision of God for His children. What does this mean? Providence and provision. The providence is God's foreseeing care and guidance over everything. He foresees everything and He provides it whether you know it or you don't know. There's a providence of God that is there. 
And if He can look after all of creation, He keeps the whole world spinning and everything moving and everything provided for, and all the birds are moving, and all of creation is still being sustained by Him, will He not ensure the provision of those He loves? This is what you've got to understand. So Jesus says, look at the nature, look at the creation. If God can look after all these things, you mean He cannot look after you? Oh, you of little faith. You believe not. Do you really believe? And Christians can have faith for all kinds of things, but when it comes to money, somehow our faith level dips. And that's why the decision must be made in part one. Then you can come to part two to have the right perspective, to draw from the right relationship, to know your right worth. And then Jesus humorously, I believe, would look at the crowds and probably has a smirk on his face and say, now which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You worry, lah. Help or not? Does it help you add one more hour to your life? Or in another version, it says, does it help you grow taller? In other words, worrying is useless. So our king is saying, please, don't waste your time worrying. It's, it's, it doesn't help you at all. In fact, it not only does not add a single hour to your life, it shortens your life. <laughs> there are harmful effects of worrying. You grow old faster. You get hypertension. Your heart pumps a lot harder. You have stress. You have increased risk of stroke and heart attack. And that's why there's this phrase, Ayo, I am worried sick. <laughs> you and I, we don't want to be worried sick, right? So don't worry. Make the right decisions. Channel your energies. Worrying is useless. It is futile. If you are worried, seek. Seek the right things. Seek the kingdom. And here we see we must have the right priorities. What's your priority? What's the first thing you think about? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Instead, but, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And do you know this one verse is Jesus' main point? His Summary of summaries. Because in part one, in True Treasures, he's saying, which one are you seeking? Earthly treasure or heavenly treasure? You decide. Where's your heart? Second question, what are you looking at? Do you have good eye or you have bad eye? Third question, who are you worshipping? Money or God? So finally now he's saying to the people, now, what are you concerned about? Are you concerned about the worldly things, the cares of this world, or are you concerned about the things of the kingdom of God? What do you think of first? Every day when you wake up, is it always about money, about, always about needs, about how to close this deal, how to do that, so that you can have more and more? What is that? Or are you thinking the first thing when you wake up and throughout the entire day, are you thinking about the kingdom of God? Lord, you are my king. Are you ruling and reigning over me? Lord, what am I going to be doing at this point in this time? How do I use money for you? How do I channel my resources? 
Seek first the kingdom of God. And I believe the priority of kingdom subjects like all of us here should be the priority of the king and his kingdom. What Jesus wants, we should want. Where Jesus wants to go, we've got to want to go. What he wants to do, we have to do. We continue the mission of the king. And here we have to understand the difference here. Notice Jesus didn't say, seek first the churchdom of God and its religiousness. Are you hearing this? Okay? Or he didn't say, um, seek first to attend the service, join a cell group and participate in church activities. But it's so easy to read this line and think that it means that. If I attend church, if I attend a cell group, then okay already, huh? Better than I go for, you know, go and play a game or, or something like that. At least I'm here. What is a good start? But does it really mean seek the kingdom? The word means to look out for it, to strive to find it, to uncover and to discover what the kingdom of God is all about, what righteousness really, really means. You must have a certain desire and a desperation for the things of the kingdom. If it's a priority, if it's something you want bad enough, you will remove anything and everything so that you can have it. Is that your Christian life? If that's not your Christian life, and you're pressing on for the promotion, you're pressing on for the car, you're pressing on for the latest design by Gucci or I don't know what the next brand is, then something is wrong. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And as you try to lay hold of all these things, a desperation for it, then you are to live out the kingdom. That's what Kingdom 101 is all about. That's why our threefold objective is this. Do you want to know the king? Do you really want to know the king? Do you want to embrace his kingdom? If you know the king and you embrace his kingdom, do you want to know your assignments? Now you begin to understand that the king wants this, the kingdom is about that, and things are now coming in your way before you can receive your assignments and understand the things. You know, something's holding you back. Are you prepared to release all these things? Otherwise, you are here for a nice Bible study anyway. I think that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where many Christians stop short off. So we can talk about the things, but we don't move on the agenda of the kingdom. I look at this one verse, and I always say this. Our responsibility is the first part of the verse. The second part is God's problem. But if you're like me, in my younger days as a Christian, I only look at this part. All these things shall be added to you. Okay? And it's very nice to just underline it, right? Huh? And then highlight it. Huh? All these things. Amen! I name it and I claim it. All these things. All these things. But that's not my part. Huh? Which one is my part? Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. That if I would focus on that only and prioritize that, then God will meet that condition, right? And all these things shall be added to you. So if we get our perspectives wrong, if we get our priorities wrong, if we understand this whole section wrong, that's why as believers we are caught in a bind. We can't get out of it. And then we get upset with scriptures. We, we think God is not faithful, you know. But the problem is us. A couple of verses earlier in chapter 6, 
when we went through the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, remember he told, Jesus told his disciples to pray one line, give us this day our daily bread. And the title for that teaching was Provision for the Mission. It's not just sustenance. Because if we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and I'm willing to be attached and assigned for the things of the kingdom, then I'll be on kingdom assignment, I'll be on kingdom mission. Then I have full confidence to pray, Lord, supply the daily bread because this soldier needs sustenance. So I'm out on a mission, God supplies the provision. God always will provide for the mission that we are on. And so if you want a kingdom perspective with all these, don't just pray for the provision, pray for the mission. Because when you move on the mission of the kingdom, the provision of the king comes. Finally, we must have the right focus. Jesus ends with verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble. Today, there's a lot of talk about being future ready. And we are now planning for a time where robots will replace us. Okay, so if you really look too much into the future, you panic. You worry. You're wondering how, if not us, how our children would survive and what's going to happen to them. But on a lighter note, Singaporeans are known to be very pragmatic, very good planners, very good in executing things. And so the government does its part to encourage all of us to invest and to save for retirement. All very responsible things. Like I told you, it's okay to do these things. Nothing wrong. But the problem is when our perspectives are wrong, when it's pulled to an unhealthy extreme, we then become kiasu and kiasi. And then we worry again. Because we don't just think about tomorrow. Like we think of tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow. We plan as if like we're going to live forever like that. And again, nothing wrong with planning with foresight and with wisdom, but our reliance cannot be on our wealth or our insurance policies or our passive incomes or our nest eggs. That's where the problem begins. Because we are relying. And I tell you, all of us struggle with the same thing. We say, Lord, I trust you, but let me look at my bank account. Lord, I trust you, but my retirement fund enough or not, and it gets scary, right, when we're getting older and then we're not able to work. And how are we going to survive? So all these things. Okay, let me share something here with you. The difference between financial freedom and financial independence. This is courtesy of Brother Benny Ong. He gives a teaching. He said, well, everybody wants to be financially independent. Meaning to say, uh, if I can generate enough income and the income becomes to pay by itself, uh, and if I've got, I got, I got 10 houses, I rent night out, and then I'm financially independent. I don't have to depend on anything and anyone anymore. Okay? I have passive income that comes in. He says, well, that's nice, but it's not as good as financial freedom. And he qualifies this. Financial freedom is where you are a steward. You know it's not yours. You are contented. You have faith and you're ruled by God's peace. No problem with that. In financial freedom, you are free of financial anxiety because you trust God. But in financial independence, you have amassed all these things, so you're the owner and you think you're okay, you know, but you're worried, what if I lose this? You know? What if the stocks crash? You know? what if this? So you're still anxious. 
you're anxious not because you don't have the money, you're anxious because you're not trying to protect the assets. So you're not free. So you have anxiety, you have fear, and honestly, like, if you have 10 houses, you want another 10. Because you think you have the gearing and the, the, the ability to have more, you see. And so financial freedom is dependence on God. Financial independence, although seemingly independent, you are still dependent on the finances. So too many people think too much about tomorrow. They worry. And so they miss out on living in the now. And someone says you've got to learn how to stop and smell the roses. And I believe that as we go through our lives, journeying with the Lord, working with Him, and with Him alongside us, there are many God moments that we don't want to miss. Is that right? But sadly, eh, I think many people miss all these. Eh? Because they are too worried about what's coming up next. And when you tell them, they will keep telling you, one day, lah, one day. One day, eh? one day. I'll... Until one day, no more day. Eh? <laughs> and it's too late already. And so the words of um, the Lord is really reminding us on how to have the right focus. I was reminded of this passage, and let me close with a, a personal sharing. It was back in the year 2006. By then, we had already had five children. We discovered that Serene was pregnant. And so, of course, we were surprised um, first. And then after that, we started, I started to think a little bit more. I said, Lord, you're serious? Uh? I know I trust you, uh, but five, then six. Uh. <laughs> and then I started to think, you know, my two oldest getting old, bigger, they eat more. And then if this one comes, then how? Uh? Then our car, how? Uh, cannot squeeze. Uh. Must buy van. Uh. <laughs> and then how? They, they need more extracurricular things. Uh. They've got this, and they've got this class, and that class. Then, and I, can you see worry? You just divide that one issue into so many parts. I started to dissect the whole thing. I just felt fear come into my heart. It just gripped me that day, that afternoon, I remember. And then the Lord whispered into my heart, one day at a time. And I can't explain this. Huh? I didn't argue. It was that peace that surpasses all understanding. And there was this calm, and I said, yes, Lord. I'll remember this, one day at a time. The next year, I started my website and I entitled it One Day at a Time to remind myself that today has its own challenges. Tomorrow will be another day. And don't you love it? In Lamentations 3, it says, His mercies are new every morning and great is His faithfulness. And so I try not to borrow grace from the next day because His mercy will be sufficient for today. I don't rest on yesterday's grace because that's gone already. Because today, each morning I wake up, there's new grace, there's fresh grace that God has for me. Of course, you know that today we have seven children. My eldest is 19 and my youngest is 8. And every day I'm still praying, one day at a time one day at a time. And God has always been faithful. My part is to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And then came the year 2014 where I stepped out once more. Our keeper's awakening. So I dropped my pastor job. Then I dropped my dean portfolio. 
And all that means is that I have no regular income from a typical job situation. This one line keeps me going, one day at a time. It's been three and a half years since doing that. And God continues to supply our every need. Amen? And each time I look at our Keeper's Awakening and people ask, so how is it going? As much as I'm thankful for all that has happened, I still find myself saying, I don't know. Because I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I still don't know how Bandung is going to be. I'm not sure whether we're going Philippines or not. Right? I don't know what's going to happen. And I was telling my dear brother just now and my sister, I said, what's the, the, fun, the craziest thing about Keepers Awakening as a ministry is this. We are not a church. I cannot count congregation how many people I have you know, every week. Because as you, as you count congregation, you can count tithes, how much money you're going to get. And it just fluctuates. It's, I just don't know what, you know, we just go and just, we just declare. And that's it. This week, I'm happy to see you. Next week, some can make it, some cannot make it. So I see different people. Praise the Lord, you know. And we just go on, one day at a time. But our focus is not on the finances. It can never be. I found out that when I look at the money, it goes crazy. My thinking pattern goes mad. I make decisions in the wrong way. Really? Have you, have you realized? And I have to, sometimes, even up to now, I have to tell myself, stop it. Put the money issue one side first. What is it we are wanting to do? What does God want us to do? And then when we do that first, and then God shows up, and the money is never an issue. I want to leave you with this hymn. It's a very old song, but I like old songs because the words are more meaningful. You know this, it says, I don't know about tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine for its skies may turn to grey. I don't worry about the future for I know what Jesus said. And today I will walk beside Him for He knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. So my dear brothers and sisters, do not worry. Do not worry. And I believe when Jesus tells His disciples and tells us not to worry, He's not asking us to do something that's impossible. He's telling us it is possible, but you must have the right perspective. You need to know your right relationship and you have to know your right worth of who you are in Christ. Set the right priorities. Have the right focus. Make this a conclusion. Therefore, do not worry because you have decided. You have decided to choose heavenly treasures. You have decided to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You have decided to worship God, truly worship God and not worship mammon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. All that you've asked us to do, Lord, we know it is possible because you enable us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. You have given us, Lord, the keys to the kingdom, Lord. And I want to thank you, that, Lord, that this evening there's this opportunity to declare your goodness and your faithfulness into the hearts and the lives of my brothers and my sisters here and those listening in. If you are worried about anything in your life, especially when it has to do with finance. And that's really the most basic element that we worry about. 
I want to invite you now to cast that care, cast that worry, cast that concern over to the Lord because He loves you. He's concerned for you. He doesn't want you to worry and to fret and to be distracted by the things of this world that you miss out on the things that He has for you. And so will you choose even right now to make that decision to say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, you are my heavenly Father. You look after all of creation. Surely you can look after me. And Lord, if there's any way where we have been covetous or we have been not good stewards, Lord, will you forgive us? And Lord, restore us unto Christ once more, Lord, and give us a new start, a new beginning, and enable us by the Holy Spirit that we can live for you, seeking after the kingdom and your righteousness, that believing all things will be added unto us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.